Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to One Life Community Church. My name is Rich, and uh, I'm one of the co-lead pastors here. And I want to say thank you so much for choosing to be present here with us this beautiful morning. Um, I don't know how it is for you when the sun comes out and it, it, you look at your calendar and you're like, it's October 14th. Uh, it puts a little bit of awe and kind of strikes you, and it's like, oh, I could just sit in this sunshine. Um, thank you for getting up and coming here and joining us this morning. Those of you who are listening online through our live feed, thank you for joining us as well. Um, today we are in week five, the final week of our sermon series on change. And as a quick review, as we started off this series, we did some things as physical changes right here in this space. We added new art um, around this space. We started new fall schedules. Um, our Kids Life program incorporated new procedures. We got new bulletins. Um, we try, we've been trying a new way to engage in relationships after our service, but doing things differently. And if we're honest, for some of us, that amount of change right there was like, that's plenty, right? Like, I don't need more change. Because change is hard for us. Today, uh, we also remember what we've talked about teaching-wise when we began this series, and this idea that change starts by us both knowing our own story and understanding our story, and how it intersects and intertwines with God's story, that we need to understand both. That this is true for us as people, and it's true for us as a church. We then pushed into another hard reality to face, which is the question of, do I even really want to change? I'm in a, in a place where I feel like change even needs to happen. And then we looked at how change is God's kind of character crucible. It's his way of transforming us. We then process those spots in our life where we feel stuck. And we were challenged to hear a word from God that speaks to us and really to all humanity when we're feeling this way. And the words that we heard were, you're not stuck. You just stopped. You can actually leave this place and go to the place that I have promised that I'm leading you. And if you imagine yourself in a place like you're stuck in quicksand and you're like, okay, this is done. I, I have nothing else to do. I hope you hear those words as an encouragement. Right? That, that although it feels like you're stuck, you're not. There is a way out. And God is saying, come with me. I'm here. Your Holy Spirit, I'm here to empower you and to move you and to help you leave this place that you've gotten comfortable in and take you to a place that's far better than you could possibly imagine. Trust me, the promised land is ahead of you. And I hope that as you've heard all these things, if you've been processing these things, I definitely hope you've been challenged. I also hope it's been encouraging to you. And I know for me, this series has tapped into all kinds of things in my own personal story. And I hope it's been the case for you. Today, as we close this series out, we're looking at the story of Peter and what I believe is a perfect illustration of what this whole walk with Jesus is supposed to look like. And I think it's going to go uh, and challenge us again on how we think about what it means to be saved, what our relationship looks like as we come to know Jesus, and what change looks like. And if I was to give this sermon a title, it would be called Change After Change After Change change after change, repeat, growing in a relationship with God. 
So before we dive into this, though, let me pause and let me open this up in a time of prayer. Father, Son, Spirit, if we're being honest, we can see all these places in our life where we've gotten comfortable, we've gotten stuck, we've gotten our place to where the idea of change, the idea of moving forward, the idea of something different might not even be something we desire. And yet what we've heard over and over again, God, is that you are inviting us to be transformed, to be made new every morning. And so, Lord, as we think about our lives, as we think about our own stories, as we think about how it intertwines with yours, both individually and as a church, God, help us to be reaching out for you. Help us to be embracing the things that you have for us, whatever that change might be. We we ask, Holy Spirit, even now, that you would empower us to hear from you, that we wouldn't resist whatever it is you have for us, but that we would embrace whatever it is you have for us. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So as we begin, I want us to take a few moments, a little exercise of imagination. I want us to take a moment to think about a couple images. Um, And I'm not even putting images up here because I don't want them to spark your mind into thinking one way or another. I just would invite you to close your eyes. And uh, we're going to think about three images. So the first image I want you to ponder for a few moments is the idea of the vine and the branches. As you think about the vine and the branches, you picture this. I want you to be closing your eyes and just think about how do these two work together? How do they need each other? What is needed between them in order for a healthy relationship to happen? What does it look like for these two to have a healthy relationship? Vine and branches. Now, the second image I want you to ponder is this image of the potter and clay. And the idea, again, of being molded. So imagine what that means, the potter and the clay, and this idea of being molded. And when you picture this, I want you to think about what needs to happen for these to work together. What is a healthy relationship between these together? What does change look like in this relationship? How does it remain in a healthy place? When you think of the image of the potter and clay and being molded. Now the third image I want you to continue to process in your mind is this image of a parent and a child and the relationship there. What does growth and maturity look like in this relationship as you imagine it? Again, how how do these work together? What's needed from each of these in order to have a healthy relationship? When things need to change, what needs to happen? Now, as you hold on to those images, you can open your eyes. I want you to be thinking about those as we process our conversation this morning, and particularly as we talk about Peter and his story, because I think it illustrates for us something about change and what needs to happen with regards to us as individuals, as a church, in our relationship with God and with others. Peter, according to the scriptures, originally named Simon, was originally from a place called Bethsaida, 
He lived in Capernaum as well, both of which are cities on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. He was married. Um, he and his uh, James and John were partners together in um, a fishing business. And we see all this in Scripture. And the reason why this is important to note right off the bat when we think about Simon, we think about Peter, is that this means that Simon growing up was not picked to follow a rabbi. He was in many ways not good enough. And the trajectory of his life moved from the dream that he had as a child to living into what was much more understood as a commoner's life, often following in the footsteps of the family business. And this was the case for Simon's brothers as well. And so even right there in the very beginning, I want you to think about, has there ever been a situation where you had a dream, what you thought you were going to be doing or where you thought you were going, and for some reason it, it met a worldly reality that in some form or fashion told you that's not happening? Or at the very least, that dream was put on hold or to the side. I want us you to hear that Simon's story starts this way. He, he was brought up in a way, learning the Torah, understanding scripture, longing to be with the Messiah and to see the Messiah come and to follow this rabbi, someone that would lead them in this way and, and didn't get there. Now, if you have your Bible, you can open it to John chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 35. We're going to be jumping around looking at a lot of text today. If you don't have your Bible, that's fine. The text will be displayed on the wall behind me. But I want to get us some snapshots, some pictures of Peter's story and help us think about how this relates to us and us as a church. So starting off, John chapter 1, verse 35, it says this. The next day, John was there again. This is John the Baptist with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew Simon Peter's brother was one of the two who heard what John the Baptist had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now, the story changes radically. Andrew, Simon's brother, through John the Baptist, is introduced to Jesus the Messiah. And immediately, Andrew goes to Simon, brings him to Jesus. And he does this because he knew Simon's dream of knowing and following the promised Messiah. This dream that had long since gone away is now resurrected and brought back to life all of a sudden. And immediately in meeting Jesus, Simon is truly seen for who he really is by God and is given a new name as well, Cephas or Peter, which means rock, the rock. Can you imagine? You spent much of your upbringing with a dream to be then told you're not good enough for it, 
to then move on in many ways, giving up on this dream. You get married, you dive into the family business with some of your brothers, then you're introduced to the Messiah you long to know. He changes your name to the rock. Up and down story. Notice the story here doesn't show Jesus saying, follow me yet. But the relationship has begun. We then see another scene in Luke chapter 4. It says this, starting with verse 38. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. And the story continues if you read it. All these people, having heard this, start bringing all the sick to Jesus. He's laying his hands on all of them. He's healing them. The scripture says the evil spirits are coming out of these people, and the spirits are shouting, you are the son of God. Crazy scene, right? But again, no call to follow Jesus to Simon. But he's experiencing this up and down. We see the next chapter of Luke that Jesus, in another scene, sees Andrew and Peter after a bad night of fishing. And Jesus even puts Peter's abilities, his skills, his profession in fishing to the test. And Peter even questions Jesus. Says this in Luke 5.5. Simon answered, Master, you've worked hard all, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll go back out and let down those nets. Essentially, Peter says, the only reason why I would ever do something like this is because I've seen you do some kind of things that I don't totally get yet. I've been introduced to you. Otherwise, I would never do this because I'm a professional. I've done this a long time. I know what I'm doing. But because you said so, I'm going to do it. Here, Peter has already met Jesus. He's witnessed Jesus doing amazing things. But this scene is different. It ends with this crazy, huge catch of fish. The nets are breaking. The boats are sinking from the weight and the amount of fish, unlike anything these professional fishers had ever seen. And the text says in verse 8 through 11, as it continues, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This scene brought Peter to a place where he understood his sinfulness, his brokenness, and his absolute need for God. That all of his understanding of things, including his profession, was insufficient. And this is what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. That we all need to come to this place where we truly understand our utter need for God. Where we understand we don't know it all. Where we can't do it all. Where we need God. And this is a huge monumental transformational place of change and it's precisely at this point when he's faced with this reality that jesus says to simon don't be afraid from now on you will be able to fish for people and they pull their boats up and leave everything 
and follow him. Talk about change. Can you imagine completely leaving everything you have in order to follow Jesus like this? One scene, you're not good enough. The dream is gone. The next, you're living a life you didn't dream about. Then you meet the Messiah that you'd given up on in many ways. He changes your name to the rock. Then you see your mother-in-law miraculously healed. There's demons cast out, people shouting. This crazy fishing scene that challenges everything you know. Not feeling like a rock at all. You beg Jesus the Messiah to go away because you know you're not worthy. You uh, know you can't do this on your own. And then you're invited to follow the Messiah. It's a roller coaster. (laughs) This is not the, I have a change and everything goes upwards. Now, if we fast forward a bit through his story, for the next three years or so, Peter lived as a disciple of the Lord Jesus, and in many ways, for better or for worse, he became the de facto kind of spokesperson, the voice for the 12. And we see in scripture after scripture where it's Peter on behalf of the group asking all these questions and saying all these things. Lord, what does this mean? Where should we go, Lord? How many times should we forgive? Is this parable for us or is this for everyone? Are you going to wash our feet? And he's the voice for these people. Why? Well, because Peter wasn't afraid to ask questions and to speak out and to learn and to try and to fail and to step out and to grow and to understand and change. And it's this process that Peter's going through that's helping him grow and mature and transform. In Matthew 16, we see even more evidence of Peter's growth, where we see that Peter being the first to confess Jesus as the Christ, the son of the living God, a truth that Jesus says was divinely revealed to Peter. You can see it in Matthew 16. It says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asks. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Can you imagine his story and what that would have been like for him to hear that? Peter, in many ways, became part of the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, along with James and John. Only those three were present when Jesus raised the daughter of Jairus. And when Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, those guys were there. Peter and John were even given the special task of preparing the final Passover meal. But even with all of this, This up and down, the process for Peter was full of changes, full of challenges, full of mistakes and rebukes and redirections. In several instances, Peter showed himself to be impulsive to the point of rashness. For example, 
It was Peter who left the boat to walk on the water to Jesus and then promptly takes his eyes off Jesus, starts to sink. He's screaming for his life, save me. And Jesus says to Peter, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? It was Peter who took Jesus aside to rebuke him for speaking of his death and was swiftly corrected by the Lord. Hopefully you remember this scene. This is Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside. Come here, Jesus. Begins to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan! Exclamation point. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Some rock, right? He is. It was Peter who suggested erecting three tabernacles to honor Moses and Elijah and Jesus in Matthew 17, and then fell to the ground in fearful silence when the glory of the Lord appeared. It was Peter who drew his sword and attacked the servant from the high priest in John 18 and was immediately told by Jesus, put that weapon away, Peter. It was Peter who boasted he would never forsake the Lord, even if everyone else did in Matthew 26, and later denied knowing Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. I don't know the man. Up and down, all the time. And through all of Peter's ups and downs, the Lord Jesus remained 100% faithfully present never ceasing to show love and grace and forgiveness and never ceasing to lead and guide Peter. Jesus never stopped affirming Simon as Peter, the rock, and Jesus never changed his call that Peter would be instrumental in establishing Jesus' church. After the resurrection of Jesus, Christ specifically names Peter as one who needed to hear the good news of the resurrection. I want you to go tell Peter and repeating the miracle of this large catch of fish, Jesus makes this special point, essentially, of forgiving and restoring Peter in many ways, recommissioning him as an apostle. Then, on the day of Pentecost, Peter, now empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, was the main speaker to this crowd in Jerusalem, and the church began, and 3,000 people come to Christ. Later, Peter heals the lame beggar and preaches boldly before the Sanhedrin. Even arrests and beatings and threats didn't seem to dampen Peter's resolve to preach this risen Christ. And we see that all over the place. But if we look closely to Peter's story, we know that it wasn't as if things were all golden now, post-resurrection and post-Pentecost. It's not like, oh, all that happened, then resurrection happened, now everything's perfect. Even as an apostle, Peter experienced growing pains, changes. He questioned God at times and acted in ways that full-on called out hypocrisy. At first, he had resisted taking the gospel to Cornelius, 
a Gentile, even with a powerful vision from God. However, when he saw the Romans receive the Holy Spirit in the same manner he had, Peter concluded, thankfully, that God does not show favoritism. That was in Acts 10, and it was a transformational place for the church as we know it today. And then after that, Peter strongly defended the Gentiles' position as believers with this kind of adamant that they do not need to conform any longer to Jewish laws. Another episode of change and growth in Peter's life concerns his visit to Antioch, where he enjoyed the fellowship of Gentile believers. However, when some legalistic Jews arrived in Antioch, Peter, to appease them, withdrew from the Gentile Christians. And the Apostle Paul saw this as hypocrisy and called it straight out. Hypocrisy, right to your face, Peter. Galatians 2, you can look at that one, that's a fun one. There's so much more to Peter's story that we don't have time for. But beyond being the foundation of the church, as Jesus said, later in his life, we see that Peter spent a bunch of time with John Mark, and we see this in 1 Peter 5.13, who then ended up writing the gospel of Mark based very much on Peter's remembering of his experiences and times with Jesus. Peter also wrote, by the power of the Holy Spirit, two epistles, 1st and 2nd Peter, around A.D. 60-68. Jesus predicted that Peter would die a martyr's death in John 21. And although the prophecy was fulfilled, um, presumably during Nero's time, uh, we don't have a lot of scripture and historical evidence to the particulars of how, Jesus, or how Peter died. But the tradition has it that Peter was crucified upside down in Rome. So, with all of this, I want us to pause and go back to those images we thought about at the beginning of our time. We, we pondered the vine and the branches, the potter and the clay, and the parent-child relationship and how those work together, how they relate to one another, how they need each other, and how they transform one another, how that happens. And having looked at Peter, I'm hoping that you can see how these images come into play with our story. And I hope that we can see at the very least that Peter was never this guy who had it all together. I mean, if we were gonna map out Peter's story, it'd probably look a little something like that, right? Up and down, up and down, left, right, right. There was no flat line necessarily, but there were moments of great amazing stuff and then amazing failures. But he continued to faithfully walk with Jesus. And the truth is that the story of Peter is really ultimately our story as humanity. It's up and down. It's death and life. It's dark and light. It's responding with confidence, and it's screaming, save me, as you're sinking. It's being a common fisherman and being a fisher of men. It's standing up to defend and shouting out, get away from me, for I am sinful. It's leading people to Christ. It's hypocritical behavior. It's doubt and it's assurance. It's declaring, you are the Christ, and at times, with our words or our actions, saying, I don't even know this person. 
It's us, if we're being honest. But what I also hope you hear, that all of this and more happens in the midst of God being faithfully present and in and through it all, there with us, never giving up. And that in all of these images, in all these ups and downs of Peter's story, we see a real picture of what it means to be followers of Christ. And it's a scene, it's a picture, it's an image of process, of change after change after change after change. And it's one that includes a process, if you will, to to think about our images. Pruning, watering, it requires light and tending, and their seasons. It includes being molded, working, and shaping. It requires refining. It's a picture that includes being fed and nurtured and supported and corrected, modeled to, held. And I hope we see that all of this change requires that relationship with God, right? The branch doesn't survive without being attached to the vine. The clay can't do anything on its own without the potter molding it. A baby left on its own, it's doomed without the care of its parents. Humanity cannot live without the breath of God, a breath to breathe. And the picture we see in scripture is that of constant change, of constant transformation. It's not a one-time thing that heads us straight up. John 15, 5 says it this way, I'm the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Isaiah 64, verse 8 says this, yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay You are the potter. We are all a work of your hand. Peter himself, in his own epistle, 1 Peter 2.2, this is the message translation, says it like this. Now, like infants at the breast, drink deep of God's pure kindness, then you'll grow up mature and whole in God. Those of you who have been here for a while know our church's vision. We talk about this idea that we are the church, nothing more, nothing less. And if you go to our website, you look at our vision statements, all this stuff, you'll see this language as well. That we like to think of the church as an organism, one that is a living, breathing thing that's always a work in progress. And this means that we take a process-oriented, long-term view with one another and that we give ourselves patiently to the slow, steady work the Lord has laid out for us. It is my hope today and as we close out this series that you are hearing this, you're seeing this, um, but mostly that you are knowing this. That as a result, that we wouldn't fear change so much or resist change, or run from change. But that we would grow to trust the transforming power that comes from the change in a relationship with Jesus in our day-to-day life. That as individuals and as a church, that we would not remain stuck in the ruts that we've created and gotten comfortable in. 
that we would instead be open to the authentic reality of what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus, one that's designed to change and to grow and to develop and to mature and to become more and more like Christ in our day-to-day. And before we end, I just want to say, this series has been really hard for me because it's really easy for me to look at the places in my life where I'm comfortable and be very fine with that. Uh, And I can even sit in the places where I think I want to see change and be so comfortable in those places that I'm stuck that I don't move, I don't leave. And I hope that you hear that kind of not just from the word and not just from me, but I hope you hear that as an invitation that part of what it means to be the body is there's times where some of us are going to have the strength to leave and move and step out and others not so much, but together as the body, we can move forward. It's not intended to be by ourselves. It's intended to be in relationship with one another and relationship with Christ, both individually and as a church. And I fully believe that God has things for each and every one of us, but also for this church. I will say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this, last week I invited people as we talked about change to think about some of the places within our congregation that we might be stuck in or that maybe um, we need to move from. And I only heard from one person on that. And I think part of that, I like to assume, is we like to go, I I love our church, this is great, and that's awesome. But I am very convinced that our church should not look the same for the next 40 years. Uh, I'm not saying I know exactly what it's supposed to look like. Um, I think there's things that our church has that are strengths. And I think our church has things that are weaknesses. And I think God desires to move us to grow. And I really want you to know that I want to hear from you about that. I want you to make space to be authentically thinking through that and what your role is in that. And not just as a church, but as an individual. With that, I'm going to invite the worship and prayer team to come forward. And um, as they do, I'm going to invite you to take a moment to reflect on some questions. And I'm gonna put them up, but really for right now, I want you just to close your eyes and reflect on them. And then the band will play for a few moments and you can read them if you would like. But these questions, again, are intended for us to reflect upon, to respond, to think about what application looks like. So if you'd close your eyes, uh, invite you just to take a few deep breaths. And just think about your story and how it intersects with God's story. And as you close your eyes and take a few breaths, just think about these questions. Number one, when and where were you when God's story and your story first collided? When and where were you when God's story and your story first collided? When you first met Jesus, what invitation did you receive from that time? When you think back to that space, when you first met Jesus, what invitation did you receive? When you think of the ups and downs of your story, 
what have you learned? What have you learned from the ups and downs of your story? Where have you seen and experienced the faithfulness of God in your story? Where have you seen and experienced the faithfulness of God in your story? With regards to the images, how has God molded you? What fruit have you produced? How are you growing? How are you developing? And lastly, in what ways is God calling you to change and how are you responding to that invitation? As the band is gonna play instrumentally for a bit and allow us space to ponder those questions and again, those prompts are up on the board here for you as well. But with that, I just ask you to make space to pray, to confess, to own, to give thanks, to receive, to be filled, whatever you feel called to in this time. And I also wanna make sure you know our prayer team is up here. Um, If you'd like prayer for any reason, I'd like to invite you to take that opportunity. They would be honored to pray for you and with you. I'm gonna close us in prayer, have some moments to reflect on those questions a little more, and then we'll sing one last song as a song of response. Father, Son, Spirit, as we witness the sun coming into this place and filling this room with light, Lord, revealing uh, your glory. Lord, we ask that you would shine your light on each and every one of us, that you would shine your light on us as a church, that you would reveal to to us um, where it is you're calling, where you're inviting us into, Reveal to us those ruts that we've gotten stuck in and and encourage us and, and remind us that we're not stuck, that we can leave those places to where you're calling us. And I pray, God, that we would hear that as an invitation, not, not a you're failing, but the invitation that you are with us, that you long to be in relationship with us and then take us into places we can't even imagine. And God, we just own change is hard. We naturally want to resist it. We don't want anything to do with it. We want it just things to stay the same. Holy Spirit, help us to see the truth and that the invitation to a relationship with you is an invitation to be transformed, for our minds to be renewed, for us to live in a different way according to the kingdom of God versus the way of the world. And it is far better. So God, where we're hearing lies that tell us something different, help us to hear your truth. Lord, we pray you would, Holy Spirit, transform us inside out that we might be more and more like you in our day-to-day life. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.